and his, your spirit releases your peace in his heart. So likewise, he ministers that word across unto us for the honor of your wondrous name in Jesus' name. Because of Jesus. Is this on? Yeah. There we go. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. We're here because of Jesus. And uh, a number of the songs that we've sung this morning have, have just echoed that, haven't they? It's all about you. It's about, it's about you in our midst. What I want to do today is I want to start a series. Now, I've done this before and I'm usually not very good at finishing series, but I'm going to finish this one. Okay. Um, I want to start a series where we look at the humanity of Christ. We lift Christ up in our midst and we have a good look at him uh, because he said, you are to follow me. You're to look at my life and you're to follow the things that I do. And so I want to look at several images of Christ. We have to see Christ in his fullness. You think, what does that mean to see the fullness of Christ, to see him really as he is? There's a scripture I want to point you to. It's in Colossians 2 and 9. It says this. It says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What he's saying there, if we look to Christ, we'll see God in Christ. And you think, that's fantastic. But it doesn't stop there, that verse. It goes on to say this, and you have been given fullness in Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? In Christ, the fullness of God dwells. Remember, Jesus said, if you want to see the Father, look at me, because I, everything I do, every, every way that I act, everything that I say, every thought, every word, everything I do, this is what God is saying and thinking and doing. And then he says, and you have been given fullness in Christ. So the, the tense of that is past tense. So in coming to Christ, what he makes available to us is the fullness of Christ. He is the fullness of God, so that is the fullness of God in Christ, and he says, you now have the fullness of me. So we have the fullness of God within us. In John 10.10, he says something similar. He says, I have come that you might have life. Do you remember that verse? It's one that's often quoted. And to have it to the full. Is he referring to that fullness? When he says he wants us to have life to the full, does he mean the fullness of the life that he has? And he has the fullness of God dwelling in him. The first picture I want to paint to you of Christ is his prayer life. I want us to look at Christ and say, if this, this, is, this is the fullness of God and it's available to me, I want to live like this. I mustn't think that somehow I'm just a, a poor mortal who, who just 
you know, wanders around in this world so beggarly, yet there's this wonderful Jesus. When Jesus has come and said, no, come, come up here, come and walk and live like me. This, this life of prayer that Christ had, it's about intimacy with God. I don't want you to think about prayer as putting your hands together and closing your eyes. Remember, we were taught to do that as children. Put your hands together and close your eyes and then pray. And prayer was often simply asking God for something or thanking him for doing something. Now, that's where we start. But we don't finish our Christian walk like this. We move on from this place as in all things in life, we grow up into Christ. And of course, the prayer that Jesus enjoyed, the prayer that he exercised, the prayer that he taught us about, was a prayer that would bring us into a place of intimacy with God. This is prayer. It starts with hands together and eyes closed and start talking to the Father, but it moves on much, much more than that. Our prayer life is what God uses to draw us into his love. The devil knows this. That's why he stops us praying so often. That's why we're too busy. That's why it's always rushed. It's always at the end. It's always uh, a thing we tag on often to something else. Because, because it's prayer or this talking and fellowshipping with God that brings us into this place of intimacy. It brings us into a deeper relationship with God. We start as children, you know, not necessarily children, small people, but children in God, if we've come to Christ later in our lives. We start to enter into this life and we, we build habits into our life. We build routines into our life just because to help us get started. To, to, because we'd forget if we didn't have routines of prayer when we first became a Christian, we might not pray. So we might pray in the morning when we get up. We pray. We make it a ritual. We, we do it. There's nothing wrong with ritual if it helps to establish something and then move on from that. We might pray last thing at night uh, just for a few minutes. We might pray in, a, pray in a prayer meeting like you did last week. We heard about that. You come and pray. You set aside time to pray. We prayed this morning. We heard Nikki praying with us and leading us in a prayer together. If you have a fellowship group, you could pray there for your friends and your immediate ones. We pray. We pray habitually. We make routines of our prayer. When we start to pray, we have lists, don't we? Uh, we think of all the people we should pray for. We start with mum and dad, and then we'll go to our brothers and sisters, and then we go to our friends. And, and we seem to, to have these patterns about prayer. There are petitions asking God to give us something, or support us, or help us do something. There are requests of what we want from God. There are like I say, there are lists that we repeat in our mind. We can't stay there. We can't stay at that place. Prayer is to bring us into intimacy with God. 
to appreciate how much he loves us. As we develop this prayer life, what it develops into is something like this. Our soul, the being on the inside of us, it learns to constantly gaze upon God who loves us and our petitions they turn into worship and intimacy we move from a place that we by routine uh, habit say this is where I pray to a place where we pray all the time our life becomes a life of prayer whether it's rising first thing in the morning or going to our bed at night whether we're eating or standing in a queue for the shops or we're driving our car there are lots and lots of opportunities in the day that we could call idle time I appreciate when you're busy and your mind is active doing something and you're working at something you can't pray easily then But in all those moments in between, we find our our soul going back, going back to God. We have to discipline ourselves and teach ourselves how to do this. It's not automatic. We practice the very presence of God in our lives. As I was coming this morning, you know, I'm, I'm reading my notes and then uh, on the train, that is, and then, of course, I put the notes down and I just close my eyes and I allow my mind to go to God. I allow my conversation inside to be Godward. And then I'm busy doing something and then I'm walking from station to station on the underground. What am I going to do? Just let my mind just float around? No, I start praying in tongues quietly to myself. It's all right, I've got a mask on, no one thinks I'm mad anymore, okay? And people talk all the time, don't they, with these things in their ears, so it's amazing. You can just talk all day long and just stick a thing in your ear, no one think you're mad. And so we practice that every day, as the moment comes, our soul is focused on him. It becomes, at first it's difficult, at first a challenge to do this because there are lots of thoughts that we allow to entertain in our mind and just but I've I've learned to not bother with these things I think it's made me a little bit forgetful my wife's always telling me that I've forgotten something and I'm I'm thinking "Mm, maybe she's right maybe I have you know we're we're so heavenly minded We're no earthly good. That's not strictly true. If we were more heavenly minded, we would be a lot more benefit to the earth. I'm absolutely sure of that. So we practice his presence. We allow our soul to constantly go back to gazing at God. Jesus taught us how to imitate the Father. Because that's what we're meant to do. Put you to this verse in John, first of all. John 5 and 19. Listen to what Jesus says. 
He says, I tell you the truth now. You know what that means, don't you? I've told you many times. You're not going to believe this, so listen carefully. He says, I'll tell you the truth. The Son, as Jesus, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Jesus said, this is how I live my life. My soul is focused on God. And so within the, the soul in me, I see everything that God is doing. I see him. Not with these eyes, but with the eyes here. I see, I see what the Father's doing. Jesus had developed such a close, intimate relationship with his Father that he could see all the time what his father was doing. When did he develop this relationship? When was it? Well, we know at 30 he steps out into ministry. He's got a rabbinical ministry. He's a teacher. He travels around, itinerant preaching in the synagogues and different places and, and showing people God. Where did he learn then to be intimate with his father? Where did he learn that? Do you think one day it just all happened, whoosh on him? No, as he was growing up as a boy with his father in the carpenter's shop, he learned and disciplined himself to focus his attention, his heart, on his father. And so as he steps out into ministry, he's had 30 years of developing his relationship with his father. So from day one, he knew what his father wanted him to do. He could see it. I do nothing of my own, he says. I only do what I see the father doing. Imagine the freedom that this would give you. The freedom in life. Always to know what the father wants you to do because you can see it from the eyes of your heart, what he wants you to do. You, you don't make wrong decisions. You, you walk seeing what God does in different situations, you're, you're free. You're never worried that you might be making the wrong decision or doing the wrong thing or moving in the wrong direction because you can see from your heart what it is the Father wants you to do. In John 5 and 30, he said this. He said, by myself, it's almost a similar thing, but slightly different. He says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. In the first verse, he lived by what he saw. Now he makes judgments by what he hears. Who does he hear? He hears the Father. He's listening all the time. Not with these ears, but the ears of his heart. So he's seeing with the eyes of his heart and he's hearing with the ears of his heart. And he says, my judgment, therefore, everything that comes out of my mouth, the things that I say, he says, that my judgment is just. That word could be righteous, it's right. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. He never let his own personal preference get in the way. He could hear the Father and so he just said what the Father said. His judgments were the Father's judgments. He never let his own thoughts cloud the issue. 
When we think too long about things, we let our thoughts cloud the issue. We should do this, but, but, but. See, as we walk with God, as Jesus did, he sees and hears what the Father is saying. John 14.10. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Don't you believe it? Well, you say, it's wanting you to answer. Yes, we do believe it. We believe the Father lives inside of you and therefore for you to see what the Father's doing and hear what the Father's saying, that's not too difficult because he lives on the inside of you. He said, the words, the words I say, not what now, what I see and what I hear, but now he says, the words that I say to you, they're not just my own words, rather, it is the Father living in me. What he sees is what the Father sees. What he hears is what the Father is saying. And what he says is what the Father would have him say. Jesus said, come follow me. Come follow me. You don't have to live at this very low level where all your prayers are just repetition or, or lists or, or asking God for that. He says, come on now. Come higher. Walk with me. Walk with me as I walk with my Father. As I've learned to discipline and grow and to live with my Father. To see my Father. To hear my Father. To say the things that my Father says. This is the life that I've called you to. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Seeing, hearing, saying doing it was though God himself and of course it was who was walking amongst the people in those days remember what the disciples said of him no man no man speaks like this man speaks they were amazed we could add to that no man does what this man does because God is with him. Christ prayed for us that we should be like this. Therefore it must be the will of the Father because he only ever prayed the will of the Father. John 17, 22 says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me. You have received the glory. Past tense again, did you notice? I've given the glory to you. The glory... Part of the glory is the presence of God's Holy Spirit in us. We have the glory. It's in us. I've given you the glory, he said. The glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. His prayer for us is that they would be one as we are one. And we would be one with him. Just as Jesus was one with the Father, that we too will be one with the Father. Does this mean then that Jesus, when he prayed, never asked for anything? What do you think? 
this prayer is like? Were they a, con- a constant repetition of what we require and what we need and what we wanted? Or was there more to prayer than that? Well, the Lord's Prayer tells us there's a lot more to it than simply the repetition of asking. His prayer, I believe, was more about fellowship with the Father and union with the Father. He prayed to God constantly. He prayed without ceasing. How do I know that? Because he tells us to pray without ceasing. That's just the, that's it. He couldn't tell us to do what he wasn't doing. So his conversations with God are more reflective are more fellowshipping, are more about being in union with him. And so being in union with his father and knowing what the father wanted him to do all the time, there were no reasons to ask all the time. Our close fellowship with God, our union with him, our relationship with him, it makes us one with him. We know the mind of God and the heart of God and the purposes of God. It's a bit like being married. You know what I mean? I've got a dear wife. I've lived with her for 50 years now. I don't have to talk to her ever. Ever. I don't have to. I do. We talk quite a lot actually. But I know what she'll say about everything. I really do. Now and again, now and again, she might surprise me and say something that I didn't expect, but not very often. Not very often. Why? Because I've lived with her for 50 odd years. I've lived with her. I know what she thinks about everything. I know, I know her reactions to... I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. You know these things. Sometimes I think, shall I tell her this or not tell her that? If I tell her this, she'll say that. I won't tell her this. And then when it's it's nicer, and there's a nicer, you know, everything's nice, I say, now's the time to tell her. Why? Because she won't say this, she'll say that. I'm not manipulating her. I've just got smart, you know what I mean? I've got smart. I know what she thinks all the time. I know, exactly. I know when I'm going to get told off. I know. It doesn't matter what I've done. I know she's going to see something I haven't done and she's going to point that out to me. She's so lovely. She's so precious. Okay. It's not manipulative. It's just because you know. You know. God says, that's how I want you to know me. You don't have to ask God for something if he's already said to you, you can have this. It's my good pleasure to give you this. Why are you putting it on the list for heaven's sake? Are you stupid? Don't you know me? Have you read the book? I know what's available to me through Christ. I've read the book many times and over and over again and examined it and tested it. I know. Lord, help me with my sermon this morning. I don't need to pray that. I don't need to pray that. Why? Because he sent me to go preach. He said, listen, what I send you to do, I'll equip you to do it. 
Now, I haven't been sitting at home all week with my feet up, not thinking about this. I've done my part, and I know God will do his part. I know he will bless you. I mean, if you don't want to be blessed, and you don't want to listen, well, that's something else. But if you do, the blessing is yours, because God said, listen, I will do these things. Jesus said, well, Paul said this actually. He said, uh, in Ephesians, remember, talking about the husband and wife thing. He said, I'm talking about a man and a woman. Remember when he uses that passage? Then he says, no, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So what he's saying, the relationship that Christ has with his church can be as deep and as intimate as the relationship a man has with his wife. Of course, I know what Jesus thinks about things as much as I know what my wife thinks about things. And the marriage is a picture of the covenant that we have with God. It's the only covenant I've got in this world is with my wife, no one else. But God says, listen, through the marriage you understand what the relationship that is I have with you. Because God has a covenant relationship with each one of us. It was sealed by the blood of Christ. We are in a covenant relationship with him. I want to direct you now to two or three times when Jesus prayed. I want to ask you a rhetorical question. You can shout out if you like. I don't mind. I won't be put off by it. But what was Jesus praying about when he prayed? I'll give you what I think he was. The first example is in Luke 3 and 21. This was at his baptism. It said, when all the people were being baptised, so Jesus was with scores of other people getting baptised by John in the Jordan. Jesus was baptised too, it says. And as he was praying, see, it was one of those times when he was waiting in line to be baptised. Do you think he pushed himself to the front at the baptism? I don't think he did. I don't think it was in his nature. And I don't think John called him to the front. He just stood with the others. And when it came his time, he went into the water. And in his idle time, he was talking to the Father. He was praying, you see. He wasn't doing this, but he was communing with his Father. I wonder what he was talking about. He might have been saying something like this. I am so pleased to be here that you've actually now sent me forward to engage in the ministry that I've been preparing myself for for 30 years. This is it, Father. This is it. And we know that the Father speaks to him from heaven, doesn't he? Because John hears it. He speaks to him. So they have a two-way conversation going on. And more than that, then he sends the power of the Holy Spirit so, so powerfully upon him. It comes in the form of a dove and he is completely anointed, completely anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's fellowshipping with the Father. God is speaking to him from heaven. Hmm. Maybe 
when we pray, we should do a little bit more listening to heaven. Say, God, this is so exciting to be involved in what you're doing. There's another example here. Uh, there are quite a number of, of examples of Jesus praying. This is in Luke 6 and 12. He's preparing to appoint the 12 apostles from the many disciples that are following him. He says, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. He wasn't doing this. I love those pictures where he's kneeling, he's got his hands together. As if he would have done that, lesson. I mean, no. He's talking to the Father all night. What's he saying to him? He says, we're ready for the next phase of this ministry. We've come this far, and now I know what you want me to do. You want me to appoint 12 from all of these scores and scores of men and women that are here, 12, and I'm to appoint them as apostles. Uh, different from disciples, but apostles. He's having a dialogue with his father. He was asking the father who should be the 12. I don't think so. I think he knew. I think as he walked with them and he lived with them, it would have been obvious to him because he could see with spiritual eyes and he could hear with spiritual ears and he knew who these 12 were long before he ever got to be with his father. He just wanted a fellowship with him. On the eve of this fantastic event that was going to take place, the next phase of his ministry... Another example is in Mark 1 and 35. If we read the passage heading up to that, we see that he's had an exhausted evening of praying and delivering, praying for healing and delivering many, many people of Capernaum. They remember he went to the synagogue in the morning and a guy got delivered, and by the evening when everyone was free to travel around, they just stormed to where he was staying, probably in Peter's house. And he heals them all. It says many, he heals many, many. So he gets up early the next morning after this long evening of ministry and prayer. And it says this, uh, Mark 1 and 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. What did he pray for there? What was his conversation with God there? He got up early after that long night of ministry. You know what I think he did? I think he had a debrief. I know what this is, a debrief. You see, whenever I do something for the Lord, like come here, me and God will have a debrief. I say, God, how was that? Was it good or was it bad? No, was I good or was I bad? But did I communicate everything you needed to communicate? If not, I need to get it right. We have a debrief with God. You worship people. Have a debrief with God. When you go home, spend some time and say, Father, what was that worship like? Tell me. Let's have a debrief. Was it good or not so good? Did we pick the right songs or not the right songs? It seemed to tie up with what the 
the guy came to speak about, so probably we got it right. You see, we need to do stuff like that. Because it's in those moments then we build our relationship with him. He was praying one day, and his disciples saw him praying. They weren't with him when he was praying. And so when he had finished praying, they came and said, teach us how to pray. <laughs> we like the way you prayed. It's not what you say. It's just you enjoy it so much. And when you come out of it, you seem so buoyant inside. Teach us. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to fellowship with the Father. Teach us how to develop our relationship with him. Because that's what he wanted to teach them. They had prayed many times before. They were good Jewish people. You know, Jewish people were, were taught to pray three times a day. Did you know that? Morning, noon, and evening. For one hour. One hour a time. These people had grown up with that. They knew all about prayer. They prayed much more than we ever prayed. They used to recite things to the Lord. It was part of their tradition through the day. The Shema, I think it's called. But they said, no, you teach us how, how you pray. Because you don't pray like we pray. We need to know how you pray. So he taught them. He said, say, Abba, Father. It's about relationship with your heavenly Father. He taught them in parables how to be persistent in prayer. Remember the, the widow that, that had to go again and again and again. And he said, listen, when you pray, push on God. Push on him. Don't go once. Sometimes you pray once and you know you've got the answer. But if not, keep pushing. Keep pushing. He wants to see if you have that within you to press him in prayer. Pray for those who persecute you. When praying... Forgive those who offend you, he said. Believe what you say will come to pass, he said when we pray. Speak to the mountain and the problem. Speak to it. Tell it to get out of the way. That's how to pray. Pray that more workers will come so the gospel will go out more into the whole world. He, and he said, when you pray, pray without ceasing. Continually keep praying. And all the teaching that he gave, it matched his life. It reflected who he was. He would never tell you to do something he wasn't doing himself. That's not what you do. Where and when did he pray? Hmm. You see, when prayer becomes part of us, our fellowship and our communion with God, we don't need times to pray. We don't need rituals. We don't need habits. When it becomes part of us, we do it. And sometimes we do it at funny times. Sometimes the Spirit of God might call us to pray. Like call Jesus to pray in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He gave those, those times all to prayer, to God, to fellowshipping with his Father. At other times when there was stressful things that came into his life, it says he stole himself away to pray when John the Baptist was beheaded. Remember, it says he took himself away to pray. When they wanted to make him king, remember when he fed the 5,000, it says they wanted to come and take him king, and he ran away, he ran to the mountains, 
and he prayed there to his father. So there were specific times when he was called to pray and there were times when he took himself away to pray. Prayer then. Prayer has nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with that. Not when we're mature. It's about our soul's constant gaze upon the Father. Practicing His presence. Taking every opportunity and moment to just keep talking to Him. Talking to Him. Talking to Him. Knowing Him in an intimate way. That we can be like Jesus. God bless you. Amen.